Coming to you from Wide Receiver Town, USA. It is Draft Day Live, DNVR Draft Day Live, brought to you by MSU Denver. Make sure you check out msudenver.edu slash online. And uh, make sure you check out all they have to offer. All right, well, a long three days have gone by. The Broncos have 10 new players, many of them coming today so let's not waste any time and start in with the very first pick that the broncos well let's just go over all the picks they made today quickly and uh i've only mastered the pronunciation on one of them but it's the best (laughs) one albert okwebunam albert okwebunam out of the university of missouri is the first pick of the fourth round today for the broncos and man I absolutely love this pick, but we'll get back to that one. Uh, The next pick, Justin Stranod, linebacker out of Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next pick is Nathani Muti out of Fresno State, a guard with a really high ceiling. Wide receiver Tyree Cleveland, love him. Very easy to say. That's the reason why I love him. And, of course, the last pick here at the very end of the seventh round is an edge guy out of North Dakota State, Derek Tuska. So there you go. There is the Broncos uh, haul from here on day three. And thank you to the graphics people for going through that so quickly as I was rushing through. Um, Let's go back, though, to my guy here, Albert Okwebunam. I already messed it up. Albert Okwebunam. Albert Okwebunam, that is the pick there for the Broncos in the fourth round. And my goodness, if you didn't already know that they were just hammering down on Drew Locke, that is the pick to really drive it home. Oh, it is. It is. I mean, was it irresponsible to go offense on, what is that, one, two, three, four, five, six, six picks? I mean, that doesn't sound that bad out of the ten. But no, when you four look out at, of your top six. Yeah, see, that part sounds a little bit worse. But I don't think it's a bad idea. That offense needed to be better. And, you know, in, improving inside and the interior on the trenches, like, that's important. But just, just load up on weapons. They did it. I'm pretty happy. I mean, we've been begging the Broncos to do this for, I think, since I've been running the draft pod <laughs> and our draft coverage, essentially, um, to just load up on weapons. Let's add more speed to this offense. They did that at wide receiver. Now they add the fastest tight end of this class, more than just the tight end. He can be moved out the backfield as that H-back without Janovich on this team anymore. I think there's an opening there. He can be flexed out wide, of course, because he's really... He runs and has the size and hands of a big wide receiver and can even be a valuable weapon in the slot. So now you could even unleash three tight end looks that are really going to feel more like four wide type looks. Um, The options are endless with two wide receivers who can easily fit in the slot or outside because of that speed. Fant and Albert O now as your flex tight ends. The options are endless for this offense. It's going to be really hard to match up with all these weapons. Yeah, well, and and with the second tight end in particular, you know, this is something that we had talked about just before the draft, Dre. I was kind of on team. If 
if there's a tight end there mm -hmm. and it seems like good value, go get him. And mm -hmm. I think you were a little bit more reserved. Um, but but I I love that pick. I mean, obviously he has the chemistry with Drew Locke, which is super important. But even outside oh, yeah. of that, we know that this is typically a, a one tight end offense that uh, Pat Shermer runs. I don't know that that's going to change just because there is now a second tight end or third, if you want to count Nick Vanette. But I think that what sometimes gets overlooked is that even though there's only one tight end, that tight end is really crucial to the offense. And if something were to happen to Noah Fant or, you know, knock on wood, Noah Fant doesn't pan out, something like that. Now, all of a sudden, you have some insurance. You have somebody there who can step into that role. Plus, there are plenty of other ways you can use them during more normal times, too. Yeah, this is a, I mean, one of my favorite picks of the whole class, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it starts with the chemistry with Drew Locke. But then, I mean, the second you see that 40 time, you know, I was blown away last year that Noah Fant at 6'4 and 250 pounds ran a 4'5. I mean, I, I couldn't stop talking about that. I, I pounded that into the ground talking about that. Well, this is a guy who's 6'5 and nearly 260, and he ran a 4'49. Now, that does not make him better than Noah Fant. Uh, by any stretch of the mind, but it does really open up the way that you can use him. And he's not necessarily a great route runner. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a lot of shake to him, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need that from him. You're going to put him out there. Teams are going to want to match up Noah Fant with their best coverage linebacker or safety. And whoever the second best out there at covering tight ends is going to be stuck trying to run with Albert O. So uh, I promised I wouldn't do that. Albert Okwebunam. So this is, uh, to me, just making yourself more dangerous. And I, I said this on Twitter. You could go five wide. You could go five wide right now and have, and have two tight ends out there and have Cortland Sutton be the slowest player on the field in terms of a weapon. That, to me, is scary. Uh, I just, you know, obviously not all of these guys – uh, our guarantees to pan out and you know history would tell us that probably one of them won't but just the thought right now of most of these guys working out even if you know it's just uh judy and okwebunam like there's so many different combinations here that are going to make life so tough for uh these opposing defenses yeah, that's really the bottom line as the combinations are endless. And as we see this highlight tape, the speed and ability to separate as a tight end is easy to see. I mean, frankly, he looks like a big wide receiver um, without much loss in speed. And then you can see the athleticism and these ball adjustments he's able to make, leaping ability that he has. He's really an intriguing weapon. And it's why I had him as my second ranked tight end in the class because just uh, polishing up on some more guys in the class, watching more SEC defenses, it was like, yeah, Albert O, he might have had a down year with that change at quarterback, but he's still one of the more special, dynamic, receiving weapons out of this tight end class, and he was one of only two top 100 tight ends who I see as a potential future starter in kind of more of a niche role, but still uh, a, a, an important contributor to an offense and to be able to get them in the fourth round, I thought was just great value. Here's my, here's my next favorite part about this is that John Elway woke up this morning, said, you know what? I really like this Albert Okwebunam. Drew did play with him. 
you know what? I'm going to call up my guy, Drew, and see what he thinks about him. And I tweeted this out. This does not always happen. I mean, this is how you ended up with uh, Cody Latimer and Peyton Manning, is you didn't talk to Peyton about that. So, you know, you you call up your quarterback who has experience with this guy, and obviously that is different from Cody Latimer. But you call him up, you find out how he feels about it, and then you go from there. And then I loved what John said. Once Drew gave us his seal of approval, we knew that was our pick there in the fourth round. I just love that they're being open and honest here about the fact that they're building around Drew. This is Drew Locke's football team. And going back to the value of Albert Okwegbunam, I mean, Dre mentioned that he had a bit of a down year this year, but what a perfect scenario for him to slip as far as he did because of a down year and have that down year be caused by the fact that he lost his quarterback who he is now being reunited with right. and his, in his 18 games, I mean, so by down year, by the way, that means he dropped from 43 catches to 26 and 466 yards to 306. My favorite stat, though, in 18 games that uh, he played while Drew Locke was the quarterback, he caught 17 touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and when you don't even factor in the Drew Locke stuff, this is still a really nice pick for me. When you add all that in, it's really an extraordinary pick, mm -hmm. especially with his versatility. I think, you know, I think where he's really going to be able to make an immediate impact is as an H-back. And that's where the possibilities are pretty scary with this guy and Phil or Melvin Gordon out the backfield, fan, wherever you want to put him, those two dynamic receivers. That's really you know, good luck lining up against this sneaky little fullback you have in the backfield. Turns out to be a dynamic tight end who runs a 4-4. Now, here is the one thing I worried about, and I guess we should have had a graphic ready for when I make a relationship comparison, but I guess this will have to do. Um, if you're Noah Fant, you just found out that, uh, you know, the person that you're building this relationship with just uh, heard that their ex, who they didn't really break up with, they just got separated just came back in town. I feel like you just have to be a little bit worried that, oh my God, is Drew going to fall in love with with uh, Albert Okwebunam and I'm going to lose my targets? Now, I'm sure um, that would be an overreaction, but it does worry me a little bit just to think that, oh man, Noah Fant might be a little bit worried, you know, uh, the ex just jumped back into town. I think it's really more of a baby mama type deal. The baby oh. mama after co-parenting long distance now she's back in town and, you know, it's a lot of don't worry, boo. I'm, I'm with you. We're just co-parenting. You know, it's just going to be more convenient having them close by. Yeah, let's see when when we hit the practice field, who's getting the the favoritism and a few more looks and, uh, you know, touches here, because I think I think you're on to something. Noah might be the least excited about this move. Yeah, and, and hopefully, there we go. There's a nice relationship graphic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shout out to Love is Blind. Great job, Bruno. Oh. I can see you working on that behind well the scenes. Well done. Um, yeah, I mean, in the end, competition is a good thing. And so I'm not trying to say that uh, that this is a bad thing if Noah Fant's not excited. He just has yeah. to be like, huh, that's a little odd. Hopefully, I, you know, this doesn't take away touches for me because obviously Noah Fant led all NFL rookies at tight end in terms of yards and catches last year. So um, he's off to a promising start. Hopefully this, these two just play off, play really well off each other. And we know that Pat Shermer loves to use a receiving tight end. 
So this will be uh, this will be good for both of them. Yeah, he's got two. This is not a great, you know, if you're Fumagalli, Jake Butt, uh, Andrew Beck, Jeff Hyerman, this these are tough. This is a tough pick for for that group, though. Yeah, and to tie a bow on this, I guess let's let's uh get let's take a stab at what the Broncos' tight end room will look at come week one. Well, how many spots do you think we're working with? Set the parameters for us, right? If you're gonna use one as an H back and and that's how you're going yeah. to uh, sell it in your head, I could see a way that you could get to four. But otherwise, it's it's probably going to be three. So we'll just say four for the purposes of this exercise because there's a lot to choose from. So I think the first three are really obvious. Noah Fant, Albert Okwebunam, and, of course, Nick Vanette, who you yeah. just went out and signed. So that leaves Jeff Hireman, Troy Fumagalli, Jake Butt, and... Um, Andrew Beck. Andrew Beck, along with, you know, you got the guy from Wyoming last year, Austin yeah. Fort. Uh, Bug Howard in the mix. You, you can pretty much count those guys out. But to me, if I had to guess which one of those guys survives, I think it would probably be Troy Fumagalli. Oh, interesting. I would have said Beck just oh, based you know on what? the playing time they got last year, but I'd love to hear why you think Fumagalli. No, you're right. I like Beck. I like Beck better. Okay. Um, Hank, are you with us or you want to split the difference there? You know, I'd uh, I'd go with... Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, I think Vanette is a lock. Vanette has to be a lock because you yeah. signed him. Fant is obviously a lock. Equabunum's a lock. I think behind that, it's just so open. Beck makes makes the most sense because he's so versatile. You have Hireman, who's the most experienced. He's a good run blocker. Um, I think you keep. I think you keep Beck, and it's fifty fifty. You keep Hireman as well. Wow. Uh, I I think. Hireman is is a dead man walking, honestly. Um, Just because they can save money by moving on from him, you know. All these other guys are on rookie deals. He's the one who has legitimate money on his contract that they can move out, uh, move on from, and save a little bit of money. So I think that probably plays a decent role in this. But man, imagine you know going from such a weak tight end group just a couple years ago to now a group. That includes two guys who run sub four five at over two hundred and fifty pounds. Um, a guy like Beck, who I thought built a nice little relationship with uh, with Drew Locke, being your third uh, of that group, and then of course uh, Nick Vanette being kind of the wild card here, obviously going to play. Mm-hmm. Maybe Beck is the fourth, Vanette's the third, or uh, you know Vanette is right. the second, depending on. Yeah. But you got enough uh, space to wiggle around here. And the good news for Beck is he can also play both positions there uh, at fullback and tight end. Yeah, I mean, that's why he's so valuable. But you're right. I mean, they tried to patch it up with third round picks. Now they've said, just said, screw it. We're getting great athletes and we'll even add some free agents. We don't care. We're just fixing this position for good now. All right. Before we uh, finish the analysis on this pick, Andre, what was your grade for the pick of Albert Okwebunam? I think this is a a solid B plus Um, really on based on pure value. uh, The hundredth prospect on my board at pick 118 could even deserve an A how he fits in the fact that they passed up maybe some bigger needs 
to um, just add another weapon at a you know a tight end room that was pretty full. That takes it away from the A, but I think there's a project in mind. I think the lock connection is huge and the value is great. So it's a solid B plus. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty on board with you there. It's hard for me to under. How do you do these grades as we're going to go through your grade of everyone here? How much do, are you thinking value? How much are you thinking the player in a vacuum? How are you, what's your kind of formula there? Really, for me, just keep it simple because I'm I, I try to analyze all picks the same to have a little bit more of a standard. It really comes down to value of the pick first and foremost. What I had him graded, you know, for me, um, Albert O was projected as a third round grade, which is a future NFL starter within that rookie contract. So within the first four years. Um, so I think that's prime value here. The fit also factors in, and I think that's also a good fit. The need, I think, is kind of, you know, average or maybe slightly below value. So those are the three things I try to take into account. 75% of that grade, though, is really based on the value. The other 25 is fit and need. All right, let's move on here to the next pick. This was in the fifth round at pick number 178. Uh, linebacker Justin Stranod out of Wake Forest. And this is an interesting one. I got to be honest, did not love it at first. And mm -hmm. I'm still not totally in love with it. Um, but, you know, the first thing you do is you pull up these guys' profile. You look at their testing numbers. His testing numbers were very, very unimpressive. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when I started scratching my head. You know, a 474, 40. Mm -hmm. um, his RAS score, his relative athletic, uh, athletic score, is very low in the threes. Um, a lot of things that were just popping out, popping out at me is, I don't like this. But to not completely trash the pick, then I turned on a little bit of his tape, and I thought, what am I watching here? How, how who is this guy in relation to the guy I just saw on all these numbers? Because he looks a lot more athletic on the field than he does in those testing numbers. And you know, just to put into perspective. Um, some of what I saw, he sacked Lamar Jackson two different times. So, you know, 4-7 speed or not, he was able to track down, you know, the fastest guy um, maybe that he ever played against. So, again, you know, every play is different. But I was shocked to see that after seeing, man, this guy doesn't look very athletic. When you put on the tape, he looks a lot more athletic than that. Yeah, he's he's a guy who I was pretty excited about when he got picked. You know, I, I think I, like a lot of other people, was expecting like Prince Tegawanagu, somebody like that to be uh, selected. But when I saw Sternog's name pop up on my phone, I was pretty pumped. Uh, we haven't spent a lot of time on him on the draft podcast, but whenever we talk about the linebackers, I feel like there's been at least a half dozen times where I've at least thrown out there like, you know, Sternod's a good athlete that you pay attention to at this time. And he's a guy that I've been looking for when I run through these mock drafts, sometimes at 118. Um, this is a B pick at worst for me. You know, if, if, if you... If you like Troy Dye, then I think you should really like what you get from uh, mm -hmm. Sternod as well. Very similar players, very rangy, very long, very athletic. Um, when you when you see some of the interceptions that Sternod gets, it's not. I mean, a lot of the time, it seems like it's because the quarterback thinks that he can get the ball over Sternod because he's a linebacker. So there's no way he can get his arms up that high or 
you know, jump high enough, but, but he is that type of athlete that makes plays that quarterbacks don't expect him to be able to make. I mean, obviously there are some questions about him playing the run game and the 40 time wasn't great. Uh, it was rough, but, but I am very excited. I think that he's a great piece to try to develop. Uh, and, and I think that he could have a role in this defense pretty quickly. So I uh, quickly, before you talk, Andre, what, where is the divide here? What's going on? Like you're watching this tape here and this looks like an athletic linebacker. You look at some of the scouting reports out on the in, out on the internet. And the first thing, you, the first line of all of these is great athlete, rangy sideline to sideline. And it's like, what isn't adding up here? Did he just have a bad day at the combine? Well, yeah, maybe we should be looking at football players instead of what they can do in their underwear. You know, it's very obvious what he is capable of doing. And I felt that way about a couple of these guys, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited by this pick. Yeah, I think a bit of the divide there is he looks the part. He moves well. Um, he's also smooth. I really like that he's, um, he's a smart player. He doesn't play, you know, take bad angles or overrun anything. He's in the right spot. He's not overdoing anything. Um, can maybe be just a little tentative. So he moves well, but I think the problem is that combine really hurt his stock because he's a team captain. He produced well the last two years at Wake in the ACC. Um, you know, the tape is pretty good. You see some promising stuff, especially to fit in the modern NFL. But then with that profile to not test well, to test as an average or even below average um, athlete, that that hurt his stock significantly for me was just out of the range of the draftable graded players i think the size is average i think the athleticism from how he tested is average i don't like the way he operates coming downhill not a guy who plays with his hair on fire um sideline to sideline he's good but he doesn't fly either in coverage he has good range i also see kind of inconsistent instincts, ball skills, eye discipline, which of course we talk about so much with DBs um, in coverage and stuff. So he needs to refine a lot of stuff, but I love the Troy Dye comp. I mean, that just jumps out at you anytime you see him. He just, he really looks like Troy Dye. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what the Broncos saw. They saw a worthwhile gamble and a guy who at worst will be a solid rotational linebacker who can do something in special teams for you. And you're not going to be completely screwed if you have to put them on the field because injuries are mounting up and there's some upside to be developed a little, if you can refine more things, especially in coverage. And yeah. And to me, this is the first linebacker the Broncos have drafted under Vic Fangio. So I'm giving him a big benefit of the doubt there with the idea that, yes. okay, Vic Fangio must like the kid, or else they wouldn't be drafting mm -hmm. him here. Uh, we got Andrew Mason. Let's bring on Andrew Mason into the fold. And, Mace, we're going through kind of pick by pick here. So we'll quickly uh, interrupt, and then we'll get back into our pick by pick analysis. Just quickly, without going into too much player by player detail, how do you feel about the Broncos' day three haul? I think it was pretty solid. Honestly, I'm I'm not uh, terribly thrilled uh, with uh, – Tyree Cleveland in the seventh round. I thought that uh, they could have gotten him uh, undrafted, and I don't, I, I don't know that he uh, that, that I don't know that he that he really has much of a shot to uh, to make the team. It's not a great shot given uh, what's in that room. I think they could have uh, gone for another position. I think they could have gone for an Alex Taylor out of South Carolina State, gotten a yeah. developmental tackle in there. But I mean, you're but uh, the the Albert O pick. I, 
that's a, that's a solid pick. And what I want to see him do is uh, become a more refined route runner. And he's going to see a lot more traffic than he did uh, when he was at Mizzou. A lot of the plays that he made there came when he was wide open and Drew Locke found him. He's not going to have that sort of luxury in the NFL. So he's got a little bit of a ways to go there, but he's got the trust. He's got the, he's got the timing with Drew Locke. So I think uh, that's going to help him out immensely. I think, uh, I really think uh, when I was reading, uh, when I was listening to Dre there, and uh, and reading sort of what he, how he had uh, Stranod graded. I, I'm I gotta get I gotta get that name right. Are we saying yeah, right. Stranod? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it does. It's never rolled off the tongue because I look at it and I see mm-hmm. Strand, but yeah. The thing it's interesting to consider him in light of last year. Remember when the Broncos took Justin Hollins? Mm-hmm. He was yep. an edge, but they were saying, well, he's got uh, some coverage ability. Uh, maybe he can make a transition inside linebacker, but he really uh, struggled at times, even though he had all the athletic measurables. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't really click for him last year. Now you bring in somebody who did not test well at the combine. In fact, his 40 time is within one one hundredth of a second of Danny Trevathan's 40 time back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something that's really interesting. Now, there are different types of linebackers. Trevathan's going to do a bit more in the box. Stranod is more of somebody who does well in coverage. But in both cases, the film far outstrips what they showed in their underwear, in the parlance of John Fox. And so I think with him compared to, say, Justin Hollins, you're you're gambling more on the film and knowing that he has a specific tool in his skill set that he can use very well. And because it's coverage, that's something that's pretty hard to find. I really actually like that pick. And as I took the time to watch quite a bit of him, quite a bit of him this afternoon in that big gap between uh, the two picks there in round five and round six and uh, on into round seven, the more I watched of him, the more I liked him. I thought he played a lot faster than a four, seven, four, forty would indicate he's not going to be a thumper in the box, but guys, I think it's possible that he's the Broncos best coverage linebacker by the end of the season. Yeah. And again, you know, we always talk about it with the combine, the combine should confirm Mm -hmm. what what you want to happen is the combine confirms what you see on tape. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't happen, that's when you have to ask questions. So if a guy Mm -hmm. looks slow and then he runs really fast at the combine, well, you ask questions. Why what's going on here? If a guy plays fast and then runs slow, you ask the same question. And clearly for the Broncos, the questions were answered, whatever that question was, you know, why does he look so much faster on the field? In the end, you're going to let field speed uh, be the tiebreaker there. So the pick here to me got better and better, uh, especially as I turned on the tape. And that's, that's the best thing. You know, you don't want to say, well, I turned on the tape and it wasn't very great, but then I saw the testing numbers and I said, okay, I like the pick, you know, it's better the other way around. So um, Andre, uh, as we finish up here and tie a, a bow on Justin Strenad, what was your grade of the pick? Yeah, ended up being a C minus. I'm not enamored with the value of this pick, but clearly the fit is really nice with his ability and coverage. The need obviously was there. We've been pounding that um, for a couple of years now to to add a little more ability and coverage at linebacker. Don't think it was a great value at 178. But take that with a grain of salt. You know, this the in grading a fifth round pick is relative. That's only going to play so much into the general 
overall grade of this Broncos class. Yeah, the way I kind of feel about day three is if you have guys, just get them. Just go oh, get your course. guys. Forget about what value. You know, I mm-hmm. usually say forget about how many picks you have. Just make sure you get your guys. Well, the Broncos yep. decided to hold on to all of them at the exact spot that they had. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just if you have a guy that you like, you're getting close to him on the board, go ahead and go get him. And this definitely seems like that sort of scenario. And I hope Mace is right that he ends up being an, a, a legitimate coverage backer. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing you could have said to me is that he's like Troy Die, and and I think the the tape does confirm that. I love Troy Die, and and I definitely like the tape on Stranod. All right, let's move on to Nathani Muti out of Fresno State, the guard here. This one is um, kind of a twenty seventeen style John mm. Elway pick here, which. When I say 2017 and draft in the same sentence, people, you know, start pulling their hair out. But I'll tell you why I am a little bit more okay with this pick than, say, what they did with Jake Butt back in 2017. In 2017, the Broncos needed a tight end. They were very weak at the position. They were not getting any production out of the passing game from tight ends. And... They needed to add there, and they got Jake Butt, and it never panned out, and they did not help themselves in that regard in any way with that pick. With Muti here, I think at least you can sell it as, okay, well, we don't need a guard, and this guy has second round or even maybe higher potential Let's take a flyer here. If he doesn't pan out, it doesn't put us in a hole. If he does, now all of a sudden we have a luxury with four really good players for three spots. Yeah, it's not a bad way to go about it. I thought this was a phenomenal pick. I really love this. He was my um top rated guard in the class, fourth best interior lineman in the class. You put on the Fresno State tape when he was playing the last few years, he pops completely. You see him move great in space. And I mean, he's a bad MF coming downhill, a uh, true mauler. He's just got this really compact build, great knee bend, violent hips, obviously just a crazy finisher, um, great run blocker, but where he really impressed me and kind of separated himself from the rest of the guard class um, aside from those movement skills and what he can do in the in the running game is really how well he played at left tackle when used out there uh, for Fresno State, just moving seamlessly in pass protection. Um, he's just a dude. I mean, he totally would have been a top 50 pick if these injuries weren't a concern. Now, they are a major concern because he's only had one healthy season of the four. Um, he's been at Fresno State. He could have come back for another year declared early um and really jumped on my radar and i fell in love um and you know bumped in uh, bumped him down a little bit because of the injuries but i'm no doctor if this guy gets on the field uh i i think you have a stud and he couldn't grade out lower than a third round grade for me just based off the tape um and everything else frankly i think he's good enough he could stick to tackle if length wasn't an issue he has below 32 inch arms usually below 34 inch arms is a non-starter. So forget below 32 inch, but still, I mean, I, I just love everything about him. Look at, look at him here against sec competition at left tackle, just moving seamlessly. Great anchor. I mean, I, I just love everything about this guy. 
Well, just watch the way he blows. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just to say quickly, when your name is Dre, do not ever admit that you aren't a doctor. Oh, Oh. yeah. Fair, fair. Good advice. The the thing that kind of jumped out to me, first of all, uh, one of the guards that I liked who did not have the same health concerns. In fact, this guy was durable. He's a four-year starter. was Kevin Dotson out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette. And he was just mauling people uh, throughout his career and, and did that down at the shrine, just pushing people out of the way. Well, Moody does the same does the same thing to a higher degree with even more power, and he's got quicker feet, and he's got the flexibility to bounce outside and play left tackle in a pinch. It's not what you want to want him to do, really. I mean, this is this is all about injuries. It, this pick, I mean, you could basically say this is the Greek pick. This is Steve Antonopoulos and John Elway on his Zoom conference with media uh, t- talked about how they did the cross check, the, the cross checks with Greek, and they they brought him in and they asked him, you know, what what they thought of what the medicals were. So this is it, it's a it is a roll of the dice, but that's what you do on on day three. I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure that there's that. Among, among the guards, if you said, okay, they're all healthy. I don't think there's a guard that you'd want more in this draft class than him. If you're talking about when they're healthy, the only reason he's sitting there in round six is, is the injury concern. And again, he doesn't have to play. You've got starters on the interior. You can go ahead and, and make that commitment and you can, and you can see where he goes. And if he blossoms, it's a nice bonus. And, and who knows? I mean, if, Let's say things go to hell over at left tackle and Moody is healthy and he's ready to step in and play at guard. You do have the flexibility in a pinch to put Dalton Reisner out to left tackle. I know it's not ideal. It's not what you want, but you do have that option. I loved what John Elway had to say and uh, about the the Achilles. He said that Greek basically said after you operate on the Achilles, it only gets stronger and, uh, in the parlance, as Mace would say, yeah. of Dre, uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'll take Greek's word on that. Um, so that's a, a bit encouraging. And then, of Ask course, Demarius the other- about that, by the way. What? Because Demarius had an Achilles injury back in 2011. Now, two decades ago, Dan Marino ruptures his Achilles, and he's and he's moving around with a little bit of a hobble. But we are in different times now. You can repair that Achilles, and it really can be stronger. And it didn't affect Demarius Thomas. It didn't affect Emmanuel Sanders, and he had it late in his career. And I and I think that uh, it's not going to affect Moody. I'm actually more concerned about the list, Frank, than the Achilles. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the most recent injury, so I think it's fair. He says uh, when he talked to us that he – the, the foot felt great, man. He had some serious energy on that call. I was digging it. Uh, he was so thankful, so happy to be drafted. And he said, it feels great. Doctors are feeling good about the progress. So you can really, really, really be patient here. That's one of my favorite things about this pick is there's no rush. You know, just uh, just wait, be patient, make sure he's completely healthy before you force him to do anything and see if it pans out. Yeah, with all these picks, is this almost like a – you know, in the NBA, we have a draft and stash picks where you you draft European guys just to keep them out there and not have to free up a, a roster spot. Is this a draft and IR pick for the Broncos? Uh, free up that roster spot from the start and maybe he doesn't even have to be used. Roster spot doesn't have to be used on this guy till 2021. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think obviously it's a great pick. 
Um, one of the most exciting in the draft, I think, uh, because of all the reasons you guys have talked about, because he is developmental, because they were in a position where they could have gone after a tackle they didn't like as much and, and said, that's where we really need somebody and that's where we're going to get somebody to try to develop. But they didn't, and I like that. They said, this is the best player we think. This guy has the best chance to be an important piece of our team two years from now, and we are going to get him and develop him and turn him into what he can be. That's how you play day three of the draft. Yeah, this is a, this is, this is an interesting pick. Um, I, I just don't feel comfortable with the injury picks after the history here, but I certainly, like I said, day three, go get your guys. If they don't pan out, well, that's kind of what was supposed to happen anyway. So uh, I like taking a risk here. We've got Zach on the line as well. Let's bring Zach in and uh, bring you in on the conversation here about hey, Natani. Hey, uh, first, should we welcome my hair into the conversation? I want to welcome the polo shirt. Out of the frame. <laughs> about, what color is that polo shirt, by the way? Are we calling that like salmon? Uh, um, pink. So yeah, I guess pink? it could fall okay. into salmon, oh. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a bold move there, my friend. Real right. men wear pink. <laughs> right? <laughs> I look like it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, is it Mutai? Muti. 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 With a T or a D? I know it's spelled Muti. with a T. Muti. Yeah. Muti. Love. No, still got it wrong. Muti? Muti. 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 Now that there we're doing this, better. I think maybe Fanjo approved the pick because he thought he was Italian. Uh, there, there we go. I gotta say, I gotta say, overall, love what the Broncos did. Absolutely hate the all nightmare team that they put together for Zach Stevens. This is this is gonna be a big struggle for me to get all these guys' names down. Oh boy, starting with Muti, I guess. Yeah, that, he got it down now. There that was the first name. Spelling uh, his name is the easy part. I mean, that that's one of the easier names. It's uh, uh it's Albert O where my spell check starts doing cartwheels <laughs> and and my brain doing cartwheels, but but Muti, I I love it. I mean, just like you guys were saying, this is a spot where the Broncos could take that extremely high upside guy and there's no need to rush him because you have Cushenberry at center, you have Glasgow and you have Reisner at guard. Uh, what happens though, if he becomes a guy that stays healthy and accountable, you obviously have Reisner here for a while. Uh, Cushenberry is the, is the center and, and, uh, and Muti isn't a center and you have Glasgow here for four years. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm probably getting way too ahead of myself, but I'm thinking, man, if everything goes right, how is he going to get on the field and and how does that shake out? Someone's got to play tackle Zach. You know, it. you know, the answer. Or, you know, you have too many offensive linemen and you get to trade one of them and pick up more draft capital. How nice does that sound? Mm, how about a guard for a tackle? <laughs> or or you just have a good backup lineman for the first time in years? Yeah, that that, that that's a foreign idea. Whew. Yeah, I guess they could try the Trey Turner for Russell Okung type trade and just try to flip a guard for a tackle. Let's hope, let's hope uh, your good friend Tom Telesco is ready, ready on the other line to take that. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I thought it was a a good not spin by John Elway because I think he was telling the truth about what Greek said, what Ryan mentioned earlier, um, and, and that's certainly the positive way of viewing this. But when you have a guy that's played one full season 
I'm glad that the Broncos aren't relying on him to to come in and be a key part of this team. But I just I love his upside, just like everyone does. Yeah, really, really interesting, uh, interesting pick here. Again, I do get 2017 vibes, but I hope it it doesn't end up working out that way. I hope that 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 this pans out for them and he ends up being a beast. All right, Andre, your grade of the pick. Well, clearly I love this. This is one of two picks that I would have I had ranked in my top 200 that were done today. So it's an A for me. Um Woo. Mm. The crowd goes wild. Ties Judy and uh below only Cushionberry for a better grade. I think it's a great fit. I love the upside, great value at this point. A need <laughs> quite debatable, but obviously still a need on the offensive line. Not exactly at guard, but still, it's an A grade here. All right, an A grade. What's uh, what did you have him on your board? He 60th? was seventy second. Seventy second. PFF had him at thirty seventh on their board. Yeah. I mean, they clearly do not take injuries into account. What would he have been their top prospect if injuries <laughs> weren't a factor? They were taking him over Chase Young and Joe Burrow. Yeah, <laughs> sounds. Uh, be, be careful. Did PFF love Will Greer last year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got some weird. Uh, it's it's always they always have the outlier board. They're they're the yep, Seattle totally. Seahawks of uh, of media draft big boards. Yes, that's true. All right, let's move on to the next pick here. And that one is a lot easier to pronounce. That one's just Tyree Cleveland. Uh, and this is a, another wide receiver. I mean, I can't believe they ended up using one of these picks on a wide receiver. But to me, I, they just held on to these picks to basically take undrafted guys, guys that they thought were going to go undrafted, that they wanted. John Elway said it before the draft and said, hey, look, the hardest part of this new draft is going to be going after the college free agents. And uh, to me, that's why they ended up holding on to these last two picks. They just said, well, let's see who's there, who's going to be left, and who's going to be a college free agent and pick one of the guys we like. And they always add wide receivers as UDFA. So that's why they go with Tyree Cleveland here. Easily the most impressive part about him is his leaping ability, almost a 40-inch vertical on Tyree Cleveland. So definitely some high upside traits. Former four-star recruit, top 50 on ESPN's uh, 100. I, I remember him being a, a hot commodity on National Signing Day that year uh, out of Houston, Texans. Uh, he's, you know, over 6'2". He's got 4'4 speed, great leaping ability you talked about. Was a big weapon for them as a freshman, I believe, averaging over 20 yards per reception. And then, you know, Van Jefferson transfers from Tennessee, to Florida. They've got a guy like Fred Freddie Swain who got drafted today as well. They had no quarterback, no passing game to speak of. He got really lost in the shuffle. His numbers declined slowly but surely at every season of his career. I thought he flashed at points at the Senior Bowl. I believe he was kind of a late filler. You know, he's a size speed guy that is a priority free agent and with a pick in the 250s I can understand that selection. I would have prioritized other wide receivers like Sternod. Um, he was the the first of the non 
draftable grades among the wide receivers in this class for my rankings. I think there are some parallels between him and Juwan Winfrey too. I mean, in terms of the mm-hmm. skills, the skill mm-hmm. set isn't exactly the same, but uh, mm-hmm. a player who does have some fascinating tools got lost in the shuffle. The production wasn't there. You're you're right. He was an addition to the to the roster down in a down in Mobile back in January, but. If you're talking about having the best chance to make the roster, I feel like there were some other directions the Broncos could have gone in yep. rather than Tyree Cleveland because I it's it's tough to see him on the 53 unless he really comes in and just and and balls out and surprises everybody when he gets here because I don't know that he's going to be able to beat out Juwan Winfrey and Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton for one of those roster spots. And you figure based on what Vic Fangio said about Deontay Spencer, you figure Spencer is going to be on the 53 as well, even with KJ Hamler coming in. So I would have liked a developmental tackle like Alex Taylor here better than Tyree Cleveland. Well, and guys, you throw into the equation that the Broncos signed two undrafted wide receivers already. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ryan, w- when they took Tyree Cleveland, I was thinking kind of that what you were talking about was, okay, maybe this is their UDFA wide receiver that they just wanted to make sure it didn't get out of their grasp. Nope. They go out and, and go and get two other wide receivers. It's like it, it, they're trying to get every single wide receiver available and just hoping that they find one diamond in the rough outside of, of course, Hamler and Judy. Yeah. And, and to me, the, the, the real value right there was at running back, you know, you had uh, Salvin Ahmed, you had JJ Taylor, a couple speed guys. who I think could come in, uh, try to convince the coaching staff that they could be more valuable than what uh, Royce Freeman can bring. And uh, well, I'm sure they're still going to try to bring in running backs. I think I saw that they already picked one up. Uh, I think some higher quality competition for that number three running back spot would have been more valuable than that competition for the sixth or like maybe the fourth through seventh receiver spots. I'm not really sure. Yeah. And Zach, who are the names of the two uh, wide receivers that I've already signed? Do you have those? We have Kendall Hinton from Wake Forest or as, as Mace would say, Wake, of course. And uh, we also have Zamari Manning from, of course, Tarleton State. Ah, Coach Tarleton Z- State. Of course. <laughs> Coach uh, Zazani will love him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, so, quickly, Andre, your grade of the Tyree Cleveland pick. Yeah, I went back and forth on this. I, I almost gave it a D. At the end, though, it's three picks away from, or two picks away from Mr. Relevant. Um, I, I was generous and gave it a C. I get the gambling on the measurables and who knows, maybe since Deontay Spencer seems to be guaranteed a roster spot, this is the kind of guy who can try and compete with that four, four speed with that explosiveness to jump almost 40 inches and uh, factor into the return game or somehow special teams as well, because you're going to have to find a way to get him on the field and try to get value out of this low seventh round pick. All right, and that leads us to our very last pick of the day at 254 picks into the draft. The Broncos selected Derek Tuska out of North Dakota State. Uh, Henry, I know you really like this guy. Oh, I love him. I love him. Um, incredibly productive. 
Um, he's, he's beating everybody. And, and for those of you who don't watch FCS football, you've probably heard that NDSU has won. I don't what, know, probably six of the last seven national championships at this point. I haven't yep. checked the oh, numbers he's a recently. baseball player. But uh, but uh, the the reason why isn't that they have like Carson Wentz and all those guys coming through. It's because they build from the trenches. They they have so many great linemen, both offensively, defensively, that they just dominate inside. Um, and and obviously Tuska is one of those guys. Uh, just so explosive. I think he fits as an outside linebacker in the Broncos scheme. I, I haven't seen him in coverage all that much, but we know what he can do when he's trying to get the quarterback. And I really like him, you know, as a tool for Bill Collar in particular, uh, another FCS guy. He was a Hall of Fame football player at Montana State. Uh, I, I think that this could be a great fit. Let him learn behind uh, Von Miller, uh, Bradley Chubb. He's just, he's a, he's a very good football player and a great value where the Broncos got him. The $64,000 question on, on Tuska is uh, whether he can operate standing up because yep. the vast majority, of, almost exclusively with him on his film in North Dakota is with his hand in the dirt or at North Dakota, his hand in the rubber granules on the field turf that they have up there in the Fargo Dome. So that that's the big question I have. The pass rush instincts are there. The, the moves are there. I'm flashing back to one play he made down in Shrine Bowl practice where he was able to get the, uh, he was able to get the left tackle off balance and lean too far and he just did a little shove on the inside shoulder and he was at the quarterback in about two seconds and it, there was no chance of anything but a sack right there so he's really quick to capitalize when the offensive lineman makes a mistake and that and he also may be the most interesting man in the broncos draft class he fly, he flies his own plane whoa <laughs> Probably he, put it in a contract that he can't do that anymore. <laughs> when he, if he's not, if he, if he couldn't play football, he would want to uh, fly around Alaska. You know, they've got, of course, a uh, small plane service that, that, uh, that handle a lot of, uh, of business there in, in that state. And he measured in crop and weed science at North Dakota state, the weed science might come in handy in Denver, although I don't think it's that kind of weird. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> uh, Mace, I thought the $64,000 question with him was, how in the world are we going to remember how to pronounce his name? But don't worry. I got, this, I got the solution. Tuska Lusa. There we there go. go. <laughs> it's, the, it's the easiest possible pronunciation when you look at that name. It's like an it, elephant. There's not, no, there's nothing easy about <laughs> it's that. It's a silent no. Z. It's what did you think Z. it was looking at that name at first? I, what was your first instinct, Zach? Yeah, lay it okay, on. How that name for, pronounced? for everyone watching this, if you haven't looked at his name, go look at his name, and uh, I think you'll side with me on that it is not the most obvious pronunciation when you look at his name. Should I bring up the pronunciation it? of Chihuahua? sorry zach it's just a silent c like you will be if you keep having bad takes should i just let myself go right now (laughs) (laughs) um okay so that is the broncos 2020 class or at least the day four hall day three hall that we feels like four days day three hall uh, that we just discussed there. And before we exit out of that, uh, Andre, your grade on the Derek Tuska pick. Yeah, I might be a little lower than um, amazing Hank here on him. I, um, 
I just have some questions about that size, the lack of length. He's a guy who really relies on his hands and bull rush. If he doesn't have the reach to really get his hands on NFL offensive tackles, I worry about that. And obviously the big questions about him being able to stick as a stand-up edge um, in Denver and maybe a lack of room to grow to maybe be moved in as a five technique, which ideally is where I would see him um, fitting best. But then he tested really well at the combine. So he's kind of a, the opposite of Sternot, where he tested really well at the combine, doesn't completely translate on tape, but has me intrigued. So it's another C grade for me. I had keyed in on um, another FCS edge rusher, Bryce Sterk from Montana State, who I had ranked higher here, who I believe was still available. But still, I'm intrigued by the pick, intrigued by the depth. Maybe this means that Justin Hollins uh, gets more reps on the inside. It'll be interesting with that rotation at edge now with Atachu, Malik Reed, Justin Hollins, how they make them all work um, with Tuska now in the mix as well. Dre, I think you got to give him a higher grade than a C. Did He was just floating in that picture. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, from the right angle, I could get you a photo of even you floating, Big Z. So. <laughs> I need that. New, new uh, profile picture. <laughs> um, okay, let's, uh, let's talk about this entire class. Um, to me, you know, these late days, you start to forget what's going on here and what the draft is all about. And to me, it's about that first round pick. And I tweeted it out today. I'm like, there has not, no one has talked about Jerry Judy enough today. Like we're only two days from two days removed from the Broncos adding the best receiver in the best receiver class in years. So let's just not, you know, go a whole day without talking about Jerry Judy, but that's where the class started. Then, of course, it went on to K.J. Hamler, Michael Ojemudia, Lloyd Cushenberry, McLovin, Aguim, Albert Okwebunam, Justin Sternad, Natani Muti, Tyree Cleveland, and Derek Tuska. I think I was 100% on pronunciations there. Wow. Yeah, look at Ryan just flex, <laughs> flexing on me right there. And uh, that's a 10-man class. Um, <laughs> it would be surprising to me if all 10 ended up making the team, but – in the end, you got 10 players. You improved a lot of positions. So, uh, Henry, I'll start with you. What is your grade of the entire class? You know, that's a good question. I think uh, when you look at all the national grades that the Broncos get, I have a feeling they're going to be one of the highest graded teams in this draft, and I, I feel like they should be. I think that um, if, if you had to pick five winners from this draft, the Broncos are one of those five winners. But they didn't address tackle. And it isn't the end of the world. I think that once you slipped past the uh, third round and you couldn't find anybody who would have started this year in place of Garrett Bowles, I think that it's the right call to, to not draft a tackle unless there is somebody there who you think you can develop into a starter in the future. And, and in that case, that would have been the move. But because they didn't address that need, and, and I think that that maybe was the second most glaring need on this team coming into the draft, I, I can't give them... Uh, better than an A minus. That's fair, Zach. Boy, I like that A minus B plus range. Not sure exactly where to land. Love, love, love the first round pick. Absolutely A plus. Love the player in KJ Hamler, but just going back to back, he has to turn out to be an absolute star, especially since you could have addressed that position with a starter later in the draft. Um, and then some other guys. Um, Michael Ojemudia, did I get that? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I feel like you, you could have got a similar player again later in the draft. I like mm-hmm. his traits, though, that he has. Uh, so a little bit lower on that. But at the end of the day, you walked away with three starters throwing Lloyd Cushenberry in that mix as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go an A- minus as well because in the end, that's the most important thing is coming away with three starters and you have some potential in other guys. Um, but in order for it to be an A, I just would have liked to see a couple of those day two picks um, really pan out a little better. And, and I mean, j- just like Hank said, addressing tackles a really good point, and they did not do that. Mace? Yeah. Uh, are you saying, Zach, that uh, the KJ Hamler is a starter as a third receiver? Yes. Okay. He, he better be. I would I would even go as far as say that Ojemudia, if he is what you hope he can be, stepping in and contributing in the sub package, that he could effectively be a starter mm-hmm. as well or play more than 50% of the reps. So you could be looking at four year one starters out of this group, and they should all be productive. If I, I'm going to give it an A minus just because I feel like they could have gone in a better direction with the Tyree Cleveland pick there at the end. But in general, there's not a lot of quibble. I thought the I thought the uh, risk reward ratio on Moody on Muti was perfect there in round six. I like Stranod and what he can bring skill set wise there late in round five, and I don't want to really give the Broncos a downgrade for not getting a tackle because it's incomplete. What if they turn around this week and Pat Shermer calls up his old buddy, Jason Peters. Yeah. And well, I'm, I'm personally case, going feel, off what we know yeah, now. Right. If, if that's the case, then I feel phenomenal about it. Yeah. Right now. Am I nervous about Elijah Wilkinson or Garrett Bowles at left tackle? Yeah. And certainly it's, it, there is nothing positive for Garrett Bowles for, that can be gleaned from John Elway saying, yeah, you've been the starter for three years, but now you're in, in an open competition with somebody who hasn't played left tackle at this, at this level. And oh, by the way, you still haven't got the uh, fifth-year option yet. And if he's in competition with Elijah Wilkinson, I don't see why you're going to give him the fifth-year option. It's not trending in the right direction for Garrett Bowles. They don't seem to have a lot of confidence there. I'll feel better if it's Peter, if it's Peters, and I'm a little disappointed they didn't take advantage of the depth at tackle in this draft, but they were able to take care of a lot of other issues on this team, and it's still at the point in its development to where the shopping list is going to exceed of the number of uh, items that you can actually take care of in the draft. So a minus for me, I look at these pick by pick. I absolutely love the KJ Hamler pick. I love the Lloyd Cushenberry pick. I love the Albert Okwebunam pick. And then I look at some of the other guys and I say, okay, well, those are just wait and see. And you're going to have a lot of wait and see picks here. But I joked about this in the DNVR lounge. I said, you know what? If you were sitting there at 15 and you traded nine picks to move up to 14 and take Jerry Judy, I would have given the class an A. So I'm giving the class an A. Uh, Obviously, that's a little bit of uh, hyperbole. But to me, it is an A class. uh, And it it really does begin with Jerry Judy. Like it had that to me uh, is one of the best picks in the entire draft. I I already said it. I think he has the potential to be the best Broncos wide receiver of all time. Uh, I think this guy is a transcendent talent. I've been saying it for 
months now that I think he, you know, is the type of player that can c- completely alter and change you as an offense. So that's where it starts with me. The rest is just, uh, you know, a cherry on top. Um, and so for me, that's why I go with the A. It really does begin with Jerry Judy and getting him there at 15. Yeah, looking back at all this, <clears throat> I had to do the grades for the entire NFL to really gauge where everyone stands and have an accurate view of where the Broncos stack up with the rest of the league. Well, they're tied with the Cincinnati Bengals and Minnesota Vikings as the only three teams per my big board to have come away with six guys ranked in my top 100 to receive a third-round grade or higher. So six guys who I'm projecting within their rookie contracts to at some point be able to be a reliable, at least average starter in the NFL, which I think is high praise. You add to that that they get their dream scenario in Jerry Judy at 15, a guy who, you know, I, I've been drooling over for a couple of years watching some of his tape um, in the last couple of days. I've been taken back to watching him as a sophomore and just um, loving his game and remembering, you know, how I saw him as a top five prospect. And he's one of those guys where you think so highly of him. You don't almost don't allow yourself to dream of him playing for, your team or the team that you cover because it just doesn't seem possible or even realistic. So to get that on top of five others who I see legitimate starter potential in this league, the fact that they were able to completely revamp the offense, give the offense a completely different um, identity, the fact that they were able to mix and match safer picks like Michael Oge and Lloyd Cushenberry with more high upside selections in Aguim and Albert O and even Mooty and Cleveland. I think it's just the perfect mix. 10 picks, maybe a little too much. They fell off a bit on day three, which is to be expected. But I think all in all, this is going to be one of the better draft classes of this entire 2020 NFL draft. I think part of that is that the Broncos killed it by adding offensive talent, which was truly the strength of this class. Couldn't agree more. I think you, you nailed it there. And uh, w- real quick, because I don't want to forget about this. Oh, here we go. Here's an awesome tweet from our friend Romy Bean, who shows she's got us up on the TV. Oh, Hopefully not a Photoshop like the Vic Fangio one we had yesterday, a real, uh, real TV there. But one quick thing, I was talking about this with Andre today that I want to make sure that we touch on. And, and he said, make sure you bring that up on the show. So I'm making sure I do. I think KJ Hamler can get faster if he tightens up yeah. his running mechanics. Um, when you watch him run, he's a little bit wide with his arms and a little bit wide with his legs. And he's very shifty. And it almost makes, uh, makes him extra elusive. It's weird. It, it's just the way that he runs is a little bit weird. And I just wonder if when he was preparing for the draft and when he was preparing to run his 40, if he didn't um, get a little bit of advice on how to improve that 40 time by tightening up the mechanics. But just when you watch him on the field, he's just a little bit wide in his strides. I wonder if he can actually get a little bit faster, if you can believe it. Yeah. Well, and, and you see it in particular when he's breaking on routes like it's almost like his he just kind of starts flailing occasionally. Like he's just a little bit out of control. He can't keep up with his own speed. And, and kind of talking about that wideness that he runs with, you know, Jerry Judy, part of the reason he's so explosive is that he's pigeon-toed. Yep. You know, like like having having your feet just angled in a little bit so that he can push off and jump inside. You know, these these strange running forms 
they can they can provide a little bit of a boost i think you look at our scouting report it's that he can be rerouted too easily at the second level and i think that's part of you know getting into his breaks and not always being the smoothest rewatching a lot of his tape last night for that film room that you'll find up on ddmvr.com I have no question that this is a, a four, two, four, three. I don't even care, but he is definitely that kind of speedster. You better have safety help over the top or you are done with KJ Hamler. Yeah. And I, I said it on Twitter, but I knew I was going to love your film room. I knew it was going to make me like KJ Hamler more. And it completely did. As I said, you know, uh, it's not just about the speed. It's about the quickness. And the quickness allows him to use his speed. You know, that slot fade that you had in the film room that he ran there was a perfect example. Use his quickness at the line to get the release, to make a little break off. And then you see him, you know, use the speed once he has you where he wants you to take off. It's right up there somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, you know, so there's the uh, the – the film room from Andre highly recommend checking it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's pretty special, man. And looking at my board, they got three guys in the top 60. That's what we were talking about with the trade up, right? Oh, could they move back up? Maybe get another guy like Cushenberry. They kind of still managed to do that while waiting it out and adding other valuable pieces. I think they really kind of managed the board pretty nicely. All right, well, we talked a little bit about John Elway and how he might be trying to avoid uh, Drew Locke not having weapons early in his career like John Elway didn't have weapons in early in his career. And John was actually asked about that after the draft, so let's hear what he had to say. Um, yeah, this is for John. Um, John, I know when Peyton was here, you made a point to try to surround him with some of the things that really helped you late in your career. Um, I was just curious, as, as you're trying to surround Drew with a lot of the things he needs early in his career, how much does your own experience at that position and what you had or wish you had kind of influence some of the decisions? Well, I mean, I think that as a quarterback, it's uh, there's no question you always want to have great weapons around you, but I think uh, you know, the key thing is trying to figure out how to win football games. And I think that when you look back over the last four years since Super Bowl 50, when we really, you know, we won it on the defensive side. And, and then, uh, you know, with Peyton retired, we've been trying to find that replacement for, uh, for Peyton since then. And so, you know, we've tried to concentrate on the defensive side uh, with the idea that if we can keep keep the score down, we'll stay in, stay in football games and eventually try to find the quarterback that we can replace him with and, and uh, eventually, you know, get the, the offense back on track. And so I think that, uh, you know, with, with the way Drew played at the end of last year, that uh, we, we saw the signs of, of a guy that has a chance to be very successful in this league. But to do that, he's got to have some good people around him. And so the concentration, and we felt like we're still in good shape defensively, especially with, you know, again, like I said, what we've added in the offseason is through trades um, that, uh, you know, we needed to add that explosive feature on the offensive side. And we had the guy that uh, we believe over time, as we as I've talked about, that it's going to take it some time. But uh, we give him a chance to be successful and us the chance to be successful. And, you know, we got it. You know, we got to put points on the board and 17 points a game is not nearly enough. And so uh, the first step was this was this year in the draft. Great points. And, uh, you know, the, the big thing there was 
was 17 points is not nearly enough. And we've talked about it at length and Vic Fangio said it, you know, if you, no one, uh, only two teams have beat the chiefs in the last two years, scoring less than 30 points. So you almost have to double your offensive output. They've definitely doubled their weapons on the offensive side of the ball. But I want to ask you guys, uh, and we're kind of addressing the elephant in the room here. Uh, everyone's talking about this being the Drew Locke draft and and investing in Drew, and it's no excuses for Drew Locke now. You know, this type of um, narrative is being thrown around. But there's a whole other side of the world saying, you're leaving Drew Locke out to dry by not addressing the tackle position. So I know we touched on it a little bit as we were going through grades of the class, but um, how do you feel, Andre, about them passing on tackle entirely in this class? And and do you feel like Drew Locke can succeed uh, with Garrett Bowles on the left side? That's undoubtedly disappointing. Um, most of all, because I really saw this as uh, the most talented tackle class I'd ever studied, both for top high-end talent and the the general depth. I think I had 13 guys projected um, you know, as draftable players at the position, which is pretty rare, and nine of those as uh, future starters. So it's disappointing that they didn't address it, but you know, clearly they didn't see their guys. And the guys who kept sliding, the Prince Tegawanagus, the Shadiq Charles, the Ben Barches, they didn't have tackle length. So clearly they didn't fit what the Broncos are looking for at tackle. So their list was smaller than the one I'm working with. Um, and no, to answer your question, I don't think um, this offense and Drew Luck can fully succeed with that below average level play at left tackle. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean you need to spend a high pick or spend another big contract sometimes, uh, especially with a guy like Mike Munchak, you can develop or find uh, an underdeveloped gem and bring them along. And maybe that's how you fix it. But yeah, I mean, that's the final kind of missing piece on this roster, at least offensively on paper. I think it's worth remembering what it would look like if the Broncos had drafted a tackle. I think it's easy to say, well, you know what? You get a first round tackle. That's your day one starter. He's taking the job from Garrett Bowles and then you're off and running. And, you know, there's a chance that happens. Um, and there's, I think that he would definitely be starting. But it's important to remember, I think, that any rookie is going to make mistakes. And tackle is one of the toughest positions to um, adapt to quickly in the NFL. And I don't mean this as a joke, but it's almost a positive that when Garrett Bowles gets beat, he's just going to grab the guy. Drew Locke isn't going to take any hits, and as great as it'd be to just cut down on any bad plays from your left tackle, at least you're keeping Drew Locke upright because Garrett Bowles is just going to get called for a hold, whereas some of these young guys, they aren't, they might not get beat as often, but when they get beat, there's a good chance that Drew Locke is just getting laid out from behind. I see it the complete opposite uh, of okay. that, actually, Henry. I see it as Drew Locke can run around. He's athletic. So if 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 Garrett Bowles gets beat, yes, Drew Locke will occasionally get hit. He's going to get hit no matter who his tackles are. You know, even if you have the great ones, he's occasionally going to get hit. But I see it as how debilitating and deflating are those penalties on third and seven. You get a first down 
and then it's coming back and you're at third and 17. And how many of Garrett Bowles holding penalties have we seen? I mean, even great quarterbacks can't overcome stuff like that. No, I think Drew will be able to overcome those more than Joe Flacco and more than Case Keenum were able to. But that's something that we've seen firsthand isn't going to be able to get coached out of him. Uh, So what I'm disappointed about with this draft is what Andre talked about. This was such a deep tackle class. I did not expect the Broncos to have a new starting tackle coming out of this class. I didn't, because then you'd you'd have to get him in the first round, maybe in the second round. And if you're going third round or later, I was not expecting that guy to be the starter. But how do you come away from this draft with 10 picks and not a single one of them, let alone one in the, the third round? is a tackle, and especially because Dre mentioned it and John Elway also mentioned it when we talked to him just five days ago about that this is a good tackle class. It's deep. It's one of the strongest positions. It's something that you had a need of, and they just they just did not address it at all. So that's why I don't like it, not necessarily because they didn't get Garrett Bowles' day one replacement. Well, the other thing is you take a look at Garrett Bowles last year. Okay, Drew Locke was able to make him look better. But at the same time, do you want Drew Locke escaping and putting himself at risk of taking a hit or falling awkwardly? Because he he did miss a couple of months because he got outside the pocket in the preseason and he kind of landed wrong on his thumb. And the other thing with Garrett Bowles, just because he can reach out and grab doesn't mean he always does that. Remember back in the Browns game, he nearly got Brandon Allen decapitated. On the touchdown pass to Noah Fant. Yep. So that plus the fact that tactically you have to scheme around uh, Garrett Bowles. It's something that we've heard from coaches around the league that there are things you can't do offensively because you're trying to compensate for Garrett Bowles. It it was a position I thought that they need to upgrade. Now that being said, they've still got some cap space, and if I could take a time machine to a week from now and find out that Jason Peters was a Denver Bronco, then I'd feel great. The only negative would be, okay, you had a good tackle class this year and next year's tackle class, who knows how it's going to look based on what we see in terms of how the college football season ends up shaking out. Now I'll throw another thing at you. Let's say there's an indication that there may be an altered college football season that causes some guys to declare for the supplemental draft. Maybe you're talking about a left tackle coming aboard as a supplemental pick and the Broncos go ahead and use their draft an early draft pick for next year in a supplemental draft that could be more robust than any other NFL history here coming up in the next couple of months. That would be crazy. That, that would be the ultimate mm-hmm. win now move. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I think we're all on board with the idea of going and get J- getting Jason Peters. And uh, that would, I think, you know, all of Broncos country would just be over the moon if they were able to go do that. Um, but I will say this, and this certainly played a part in the Broncos not going tackle in this class. And it's just, they felt like they kind of found a formula at the end of the year for getting Garrett Bowles a little bit more on the same page with the rest of the offense. And so I think there's a little bit of hope there in terms of Mike Munchak, some outside methods that he's been using, um, the combination of having a quarterback in there who actually can sense what's going on in the pocket. And so 
I guess my my most uh, pressing point here is I get why everyone wanted tackle, and I think you know if they would have gone tackle in the second round instead of KJ Hamler, and it was one of the ones that we liked, well, we'd probably be feeling really good right now. Yeah. But the one thing that I hate is the people saying. Well, you know, good luck with all those offense. When you have no offensive line, Drew's just going to get sacked every play. And it's like, well, then you just didn't watch the end of the season last year when he got sacked and, uh, you know, an average of one time per game. So, yes, the Bulls holding penalties are rough, and you definitely have to figure out a solution at that position long term eventually. But let's not you know, hyperbolize everything by saying, oh, since you didn't replace tackle, Jerry Judy's useless, Hamler's useless, Albert Okwebonam, like all these guys are useless. You know, it's just since you didn't fortify the offensive line, the offense is doomed. I don't think uh, that is even close to the truth. And I think that in the end, Drew Locke is going to have a better offensive line, I'll touch wood, in front of him starting week one next year than he did any of those five games. And I think there's a pretty significant gap between those two offensive lines, and he was still able to avoid sacks. So let's just be realistic in these conversations and, and talk about uh, you know football and not hyperbolize everything. So let's be but, positive then. When was the last time the Broncos had a better interior offensive line trio than they do projecting Cushenberry flanked by Dalton Rosner and Graham Glasgow? I think you have to go back to at least – 2015 when you had kind of Evan Mathis toward the end of his career on one side, Lou Vasquez, who was gamely playing through back issues, but still was a good guard. And then of course, Matt Paradis, who was terrific right out of the blocks in his first year as a starting center. So Super Bowl 50 is the last time you felt this good about your interior Mm -hmm. trio. And that interior trio is really going to help the running game, something I don't feel like I talked about enough yesterday. And that, of course, will keep defenses more on their toes, opening up space for the running game and defenses to not pin their ears back. Also, the whole Hamler-Judy versus an offensive tackle discussion, what gets lost in that is those guys are so quick at getting open right off the bat on those releases that they're actually going to allow Drew Locke to get the ball out quicker and be thus less susceptible to oncoming pressure that way if he can get the timing of the offense down. So I do think that things have been done to help Drew Locke with how he handles pressure, even if the offensive tackle wasn't addressed. That's a great point. And I think another thing that helps Drew Locke with those guys getting such quick releases is that he is still a young quarterback, still growing into the role. You can give him a lot of first read stuff, and have the Mm -hmm. chance for some big plays because those guys are going to fire so quick off the snap. I love seeing that we have some some people who don't listen to the podcast in the comment section here. I know that we have some new listeners because they don't understand touch wood. because we, I used to say knock on wood, and then we had some listeners out there in the UK who say touch wood instead of knock on wood. And somehow, some way, it just evolved to now we only say touch wood. And we even have, it's not reachable right now, but we even have a little wooden thing on it with, that says BSN Broncos podcast, touch wood. So we, uh, we altered it. Now it's our own little uh, tradition. Anyways, we have some more audio here from John Elway uh, and Vic Fangio. This one about Drew Locke and uh, the idea of getting him started on the offense during these odd times. And now that they can have more contact with the coaches, how they're going to approach that.
what is the plan to teach and learn this system now that Patton and Drew can talk? And if John can put any insight into that too about how how it works. Well, they're gonna they're gonna start on Monday, and I'm sure um, there'll be some trial and error here with you know with the total communication because now you're communicating with um, a bunch of different players at one time from all different locations. So we're going to see how it goes, but we're going to be aggressive to push the limits of this teaching situation because it's critical, especially for our offense and our quarterback, as you mentioned with Drew, putting in a new offense. So we're going to make the most of it. I'm sure that some of it's going to be trial and error, and we'll make adjustments as we go through these next three weeks. But um, I'm confident we'll get a lot out of it. Interesting stuff, and and – that's like one thing that has to give you pause if you're thinking about this. You know, you got all these great new weapons, all all of this fun stuff, a new offense, a new offensive coordinator. All that sounds really exciting. It's just you just have to hope that all these guys can really bear down and and use this time on their own to learn this stuff. And I think, you know, more than ever, it's probably important that John Elway went and, and got these guys who are captain types because those are the guys who are going to say, you know what, I got to be ready. The second that they say, hey, it's time to come back to Denver, I don't want to be even a half step behind anyone, so i got to use as much time as I possibly can. You know, it goes back to uh, Drew Locke drawing up plays on the mirror and calling plays to himself. Like, those are the type of guys you need. You really, really need that right now. Well, it's what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago about how, unfortunately, uh, being remote and not being in the facility for this offseason – is going to impact and be a negative to Drew more than other quarterbacks. The veteran quarterbacks that have the same system, uh, this doesn't matter to them. You know, Tom Brady hadn't gone to OTAs for many years, and he was still fine out in New England. Drew Locke's in a completely different situation. Not only is he young, not only are we finding out he's getting all of these new weapons that he needs to build some chemistry with both on and off the field, but now he can't be with Pat Shermer and it's all virtual. Uh, that's the biggest concern right now to, to me with the Broncos offense. And it's clear to Vic that that may be his biggest concern about the offense as well. I mean, he didn't hold back and, and downplay it at all. He really said how it was a big deal. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting dynamic with this new offense. I think a lot of onus is going to put be put on Shermer of having to simplify the offense at first. You know, he's a veteran OC, and I think the criticism for the Kubiaks and the Shanahan's is the offense is more complex. It takes a little more experience to get into. I'm relying on a guy like Shermer with a young quarterback, something he's had to deal with throughout his career, first-time starters, young quarterbacks, the success he's had with Case Keenum, Sam Bradford, you know, guys who are thrust into the lineup mid-season or early into the year and weren't getting those first-team reps. He's going to have to pull from that experience, simplify things, and get this young group as ready as possible early on. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you're right, you know, it's okay to put uh, extra pressure on these coordinators. Mm-hmm. It's it's much better than putting extra pressure on all of these young football yep. players. Um, Pat Shermer, make it nice and simple for them. Build it up, and then once you get to training camp, you know you can uh, increase the speed of the install. Then, if that's something you want to do, but I think it's a smart idea to not have these guys start drinking from a fire hose when they're just at home 
on their own trying to figure this whole thing out. I think you could really overwhelm them, overwhelm them, and you don't have them in front of you every day to say, hey, let's get in here, you know, and explain these things to them. I think you really want to try and bring them along slow in this process. Drinking from a fire hose, throwback to John Elway talking about Vance Joseph. Uh, Vance <laughs> Joseph got some fun pieces to work with on that defense during this draft. And speaking of some of the other teams' drafts, why don't we take a look around the AFC West right now and, and just kind of go through who we think maybe might be some of the better uh, drafts. Who did, who won, who lost, how did everyone do here in the AFC West? Andre, these are your grades. Yeah, I saw um, the Chiefs all in all were able to come out with some pretty nice value. Um you know, three guys in my top hundred with Willie Gay, uh, Lucas Niang, and uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Interesting that they address tackle. I think that was a low-key need that maybe most mocks didn't have. So I think considering where they were drafting, they came away with a nice haul. Uh, Chargers, Raiders, multiple first-round picks. I think they came away with about appropriate value with where they were slotted to pick but didn't exceed that value. You know, every team in the NFL is getting better. You're not going to get uh, any, you know, any parades from me for that. You're going to get a nice little C and we're going to see from there. So that's where the, those two teams are. Yeah. Any thoughts, Mace, on the, uh, the rest of the AFC West and how they did? I thought there was some good value for the Chargers. I mean, I love the fact that they got KJ Hill there yes. uh, at the end of the draft. That's mm-hmm. I mean, they they can plug him in mm-hmm. as a slot receiver, and I think they're they're going to have one of the best value picks there in in round seven. The Raiders, uh, the best the best part to me, I thought was their the third round when they got Lynn Bowden and Brian Edwards back to back there. But yep, let's just take the cornerbacks. Okay, they take Damon Arnett in round one, and the value there, frankly, it's questionable at best. Uh, there's a good chance that Amik Robertson, who they pick in the fourth round, is actually going to be more productive for them mm-hmm. than Damon Arnett's going to be. It's not a bad draft for the Raiders. It's just when you see things like that, it's it's curious and it sort of smacks of kind of the Cleveland Farrell pick last year at number four overall. I think sometimes Mike Mayock has a tendency to get a little bit too cute yep. in some of the decision making. Two things for me. One, it all comes down to Justin Herbert for the Chargers. If he ends up being the guy, fantastic draft. They got their quarterback of the future, the franchise guy with the sixth overall pick. What a steal. A draft, doesn't matter what the rest uh, happens there. Obviously, I don't know if any of us truly believe that will happen. So, Dre, I agree with your grade there. Um, But it all comes down to him. And with the Raiders, is it time to finally say that Derek Carr is John Gruden's guy? He's had two drafts now where he's had plenty of capital to either move up or just select a quarterback in the first round. And he's passed on it both times. He passed on uh, some big name free agents this off season, or I mean, maybe there's a chance on Monday they go out and sign Jameis or something. That would be hilarious because they already have Mariota in that room, in that room when they, when they get back there. But uh, yeah, that that's actually I mean, that, that's actually another discussion for another day is Jameis yeah. Winston, Andy Dalton, and Cam Newton. And oh, by the way, not in the division, but on the Broncos schedule, the Patriots kind of kicking the, the quarterback can down the road. What do they do next? Yeah. It's it, it, There are a lot of fascinating aspects when we start discussing quarterback down the line. But 
Yeah, the thing with John Gruden also that's interesting, guys, is that he doesn't really have a lot of trust in young quarterbacks. And you look over the course of his head coaching career, a lot of the success he had is Rich Gannon, Reclamation Project, in Tampa Bay, won a division title with Jeff Garcia Mm -hmm. when he was on the scrap heap. And the fascinating thing that year from a Broncos perspective, he wanted Jake Plummer as well, but Jake said, no, I don't really want to go down to Tampa Bay. I'm just going to retire. But John Gruden kind of has this fetish, not for young quarterbacks in the draft or not even for those he inherits, but for reclamation projects. So maybe Marcus Mariota becomes his new boo. Wow. I mean, or Bay I, or whatever. It I think he kind of is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It really wouldn't surprise me. Not All right. Uh, um, we got some more audio here from John Elway and Vic Fangio talking about uh, the motivation for why they went after so much speed in this draft. Let's hear from John and Vic on that. That, that they've only lost twice when opponent failed to score 30 points. You brought that up at the end of last year. How much was that motivating when you added these offensive weapons this, uh, through this draft in this offseason? Well, I mean, we, we, we needed to score more points whether we're playing the Chiefs or not. Uh, but obviously playing against them, you're going to need to. So, you know, that, that was part of it. Um, and Adding the speed is always, always, it's always good to be fast, you know, but sometimes people make the mistake of just getting fast with players that aren't good football players. We believe our speed that we've drafted has come with players that can play the game also. So it was good to get the added speed, you know, hopefully we're a harder offense to defend now once it evolves and we get to playing games, but yeah, I mean, we need to score more points. John, on the same uh, change, same part of that, was it a point when you committed to Drew that we're like, we're going to find as many weapons as we can for him then? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that was definitely part of it, especially with the number of picks that we had and, you know, where we ended last year as far as, and you know, the, the things that we'd added in free agents or in trades in the offseason and free agency um, that, uh, you know, we felt like, uh, you know, we had something to build around. And, uh, you know, with the way that Drew played uh, the end of last year, that uh, we wanted to also, you know, give him a chance to be, you know, successful and take advantage of what his abilities were. And also, as Vic said, we got to put points on the board. And it's been very frustrating for all of us the last three, four years because we have not been explosive on the offensive side. And, and, uh, and even really five years, Super Bowl, you know, when we won Super Bowl 50, we weren't very explosive on the, on the offensive side either. We were just very, very good on the defensive side. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we want a well, well-balanced football team. We want to play great defense, but also we've got to be able to score points. And, uh, you know, we're able to, with the, with our plan, do it this year. And the way things fell, we were able to do that through, uh, you know, with Jerry in the first round, KJ in the second, and even Albert O, in the, in, you know, in the, uh, in, a, in the fourth round, to be able to add speed to the offense. Don't you think if you're uh, Rich Scangarello and T.C. McCartney, you're thinking like, well, if Drew needed all of that to succeed, how come we didn't get the benefit of the doubt of needing all that to succeed? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Think, Where's the love? Yeah, I think in the end, the Broncos just kind of identified Shermer and said, you know, if he's available, we want him. We think he's a great fit with Drew Locke. And so, unfortunately, I think, you know, Skangs was just kind of a victim of that as they kind of fell in love with someone 
uh, while they were still in a relationship with him. And it was just a matter of time until they got out of their current relationship before the, they could, you know, start dating. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing is also with Skangs, he, uh, you know, he likes the fullback, but he also likes two tight end sets. So you wonder uh, uh, what he could have pulled off with Albert O and Noah Fant working mm-hmm. together as well. I mean, I think there were some interesting possibilities if they kept him around. And uh, that be maybe that's a good what if to tackle here in the next few weeks. What would the Broncos offseason look like if Scangrello was still the OC? So well, and, and to me, one of the interesting things John Elway said was, we think we found a guy to build around, talking about Drew, so we needed to put weapons around him. And that made me think, so because you didn't fully believe in Joe Flacco or you fully didn't believe in Case Keenum, you just weren't going to give them weapons <laughs> and give them tools to <laughs> succeed? Well, of course they're going to fail. Now, maybe, you know, it, it wasn't that deep of a comment for, for from John, but man, that's what I thought about. Well, if you think about it, though, you know, they did try to add. They did add Dalton Reisner to help out Joe Flacco. They did add Noah Fant to try to help out Joe Flacco. So, they, you know, they took the first step last year, maybe not quite as much, but they did try to do some things to help Joe Flacco. They just weren't quite as close as they now are with Drew. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they had to build that base to start with. It's interesting, going back to John's very first quote that we played uh, talking about how his experience has dictated things. And he talked about, well, we really focused on the defense first, and now we're more focused on offense because you need to score points with the Chiefs and what have you. Start of his career as a GM, first five, the first pick of his first five drafts were all defensive players. Now in the last five drafts, the most recent ones, four of the last five have been offensive players the only one who wasn't is Bradley Chubb. And even then, Cortland Sutton was selected in the second round. Last year, you had two selections in the second round, both on offense. And this year, you had, you know, Hamler and Cushenberry on day two on top of Michael Oge and Aguim. So they're just loading up on offense, and it's finally starting to look pretty promising. It does look promising. And speaking of loading up on offense, they have started their uh, quest to sign some undrafted free agents here. We have a few of these names up here on the graphics. So let's throw that up now, see what we're working with. Uh, Zamari Manning, like like Andre said, not to be confused with uh, Coach Zazani. Uh, wide receiver Kendall Hinton out of mm-hmm. Wake Forest. Quarterback Riley Neal out of Vanderbilt. And running back Levante Bellamy out of Western Michigan. Of course, the one that probably perks people's eyes up is the quarterback out of uh, Vanderbilt. A guy who probably will compete with Brett Rippon uh, to stay around, uh, you know, long term. Yeah, there's also a name not on this list. Keep your eye on him. Offensive tackle Hunter Watts out of Central Arkansas, hmm. a school that uh, we've all heard about in the last week because it's the alma mater of the great Scotty Pippen. But yes. uh, there's your developmental tackle, perhaps Hunter Watts <gasps> from UC. They got a tackle. <laughs> they got a tackle. And guys, if you want uh, a little comedy on this Saturday night, um, find find the uh, the oh tweet my I God. retweeted yes. on my Twitter. And oh my. Uh, it is it is put out by his alma mater that he Sending signed with the Broncos or that he agreed to terms with the Broncos. And this is 
a hilarious rendering. We'll pull it up on the screen soon. Oh, it is absolutely man. hilarious. Oh. These poor <laughs> small school graphic staffs. I just they tried. Know, someone who doesn't know what they're doing was tasked with doing that, and you know it's just not fair to them. I think the nicest. It looks like this could be they, on uh, SNL. I think the nicest touch is they've still got him into gray pants <laughs> that they wear. <laughs> At UCA. <laughs> well, we're getting close to having that up on the screen so you guys can enjoy it like us. Six eight three oh seven, which is interesting. A bit uh yeah. Alejandro Villanueva side. Well, there you go. And we talked about Alex Taylor a lot, and he has some similar dimensions. Taylor signed with the Cleveland Browns as an as an undrafted free agent. So perhaps they're looking at Hunter Watts with the, the same kind of plan. <laughs> Working with Mike Munchak. It's oh man, there's uh, words for <laughs> me on this. Oh, by the way, look, if you take look at how they photoshop the NFL shield there at the base of the collar like that. <laughs> <sighs> What's it looks like dad oh. in sweats just uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to see what this guy no actually bad. looks like. I was gonna say grandpa, so I, you were it's, nice with dad. It somehow accentuates his gut and makes him look <laughs> like he is just so not well compact. He kind of um, looks like Garrett Bowles. <laughs> Yeah, Garrett Bowles' dad, maybe. Um, Levante Bellamy is the guy who stands out the most to me. I had to double check there because Bellamy is a guy that I used to have on my college fantasy football team. Um, you know, I've scouted Western Michigan from when they were at uh, PJ Fleck, coached them, and they have two very promising NFL offensive tackles. So I'd almost forgot that he was still in college. He's a small back, very productive at Central Michigan. Again, um, I'm sorry, Western Michigan Broncos uh, in that PJ flex system, that wide open offense, his best season as a junior 30 receptions. So that's five, nine, one ninety. He's got a little shake to him. Very productive can be a weapon out the backfield, an intriguing third back to put in that competition at least. And, and speaking of third backs, I, I feel like, you know, as you're trying to add speed to this team, uh, the person that you should be looking to is Kalfani Muhammad. You know, he's someone who's hung yeah. around for a little bit now. Um, you don't necessarily need Royce Freeman around anymore, although he's cheap and you did still draft him pretty high, so you could keep him around. But if you just wanted to upgrade speed, uh, Kalfani Muhammad would be one to keep around as well. Yeah, definitely. He's cheap and he's still around. I think that you might have described the mentality with hanging on to Garrett Bulls as the starting left tackle as well. All right. I've been told we have something involving Henry to play here. I don't know what it is. So, oh. um, Henry, you know, close your eyes, I guess. Wait, I have to close my eyes? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. All Braced I know is yourself. Is what yeah. I'm just saying, you know, maybe you don't want to watch. Oh no. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we have the audio there. Well, it was I, fun while it lasted. That that screen capture of me, boy, I was trying <laughs> to make a point there. I, I do not look happy in that at all. <laughs> well, at least you, you were included. That? You caught me mid pontification. <laughs> yeah, who knows what you were talking about there? Oh. All right. All right, we got another video to cut to here, so let's see what's going on. Apparently, there wasn't supposed to be audio on that one. I'm very oh. confused. <laughs> ah! 
Uh, oh, wow. 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 That is not an official That's Dre wow. grade. He said he'd draft me yesterday. That's right. I said I'd draft him first. He said he'd draft me. Tough. That's right. Tough scene. Tough scene. <laughs> yeah, tough scene. Tough scene. The on air talent does not share the, the views from the graphics department, I think. Yes, exactly. All right. As we are wrapping up here, we have a couple more things I want to look at. Andre, we had a graphic of you of the best and worst value picks in the first round. And I think it'll be good to kind of work our way back to the first round as we tie a bow on this thing, because that's where most of the action was. So if we have a chance there, Rudo and Allie, if you guys could pull up the uh, the graphic of Andre's best and worst value picks from the first round, love to take a look at that. There's some really interesting picks that went on in the first round. And I think this does a good job of illuminating it. So, uh, Andre, who was the best value pick you had in the first round? Yeah, just barely. It ended up being CeeDee Lamb in front of uh, Jerry Judy. Of course, I just had CeeDee one spot ahead of Judy on my board, and then Lamb ended up being drafted three spots after Judy went off the board, or two spots after. So he was, by three points, the better value um, then Judy and then Judy, as you see here, tied with Justin Jefferson as the best value pick of round one. Clearly the wide receivers with them sliding a bit. Uh, you saw a lot of great value. I thought Jeff Gladney at the end of round one, though, for the Minnesota Vikings, a team where he really fits nicely, was a great value pick as well. And Patrick Queen, somehow the Ravens, even though everyone knew they wanted Patrick Queen, with the, it took the Seahawks drafting Jordan Brooks and front of them but somehow the ravens who are always one of the best drafting teams per my rankings which keeps me going frankly um make out as the fifth best value in the first round behind them was tristan Wirfs and isaiah simmons tied at a plus four and speaking of jordan brooks oh. face on the board <laughs> minus 109 are you kidding me? yeah i talk about those top 100 grades a lot and amazingly of the 32 picks in round one all had a top hundred grade except for texas tex not texas state but he might as well have been jordan brooks <laughs> there um and then you have damon arnett which is part of why the raiders didn't get uh much better of a grade from me negative 51 value i can't believe the raiders after after failing drafting uh the second cornerback on an ohio state defense doing so again only a couple years later and then aj terrell that the corners obviously didn't present much value isaiah wilson also a reach there and jordan love tied with clyde edwards hilaire um there at the bottom for a negative 23 value edwards hilaire will be able to outplay that value with where he landed in KC. But as I was saying to recap day one um, on yesterday's show, I felt like there were other running back options they could have found in round two without pulling the plug in uh, at the 32nd pick overall. That is brutal for Jordan Brooks. Hold that thought real quick, Zach. For uh, those listeners who might have a question for us, feel free to send those uh, in on the comments right now. We'll answer a few before we get out of here. Sorry, Zach, I wanted to get those rolling before you talk. Do you guys know what Jordan Brooks was doing when he got the call from the Seahawks? Oh, boy. Was I'm he pulling a Mike Vrabel's son? 
I don't know what Mike Vrabel's son is. He was cooking pasta. He was making dinner for himself, a cheap pasta dish, because he thought there was no way he was going to get drafted. So, Dre, he would agree with you that he he was way overdrafted. Yeah. That's first-round self-awareness at the very least. You know, a lot of those guys don't always recognize where they're going to land. Um, so, I mean, maybe maybe that means that he is – a little bit smarter than we give him credit. I don't know. Uh, he said, yeah, he, he admitted he was surprised. And the interesting thing, though, reading a story from uh, the Seattle Times, is that the Seahawks actually had a trade lined up before making the pick, but it fell through at the last minute. And then they're like, well, Brooks is still there. So it worked out great, unquote, a quote, unquote, according to John Schneider, their, their GM. And you're like, okay. You were really worried that Jordan Brooks was not going to be be there for you. Crazy. You're literally the only team that's probably got him in the top 50. Again, Seattle's board looks nothing like anybody else's in football. And, yep. you know, in, in some ways it's hard to argue with the results because they've been a consistent winner. But at the same time, you wonder if they could, if they would look so good, if they right. didn't have a unicorn like Russell Wilson as their quarterback, able to compensate for other things that are askew on the roster. All right, let's jump into these questions here. The first one comes from Studer J one twenty three. How shocked were y'all when we got Judy and Cushenberry at our original spots? Uh, I mean, super shocked. I mean, you you saw the live stream on uh, Thursday night. We were just every every time a pick went down, we were just in awe of the way things were falling. But I think maybe the more shocking one is that you got Cushenberry that late. You know, he was a guy who we kind of had pegged as a second round pick, maybe even an early second round pick. And man, he slips all the way down to the board. And I just, you know, keep thinking about this battery of uh, uh, Cushenberry and Locke and those two just building a great relationship. I think they're going to be a good fit for each other personality wise. And, you know, those could be your center and quarterback for a long, long time in Denver. Yeah, and uh, you know, going off that Cushenberry thing, I think he might be the steal of the draft value-wise. He's certainly in that conversation. Actually, last night I had a friend text me who uh, I covered the Montana Grizzlies with last year uh, before she took a job covering LSU. And so she's now actually covering the Saints, but she spent a lot of time with Lloyd Cushenberry. And after the pick, she texted me and said, you guys are going to love him. He's incredibly smart. He's he's a hard worker, but he's also fun loving. I think that this is a, a special yeah. type of player, special type of person to be adding to that locker room too. Mm-hmm. Yep, great point. Yeah, Judy shocked Cushenberry, almost relieved because they'd passed on him already a couple times on day two. So to still get him in the eighties was a quite the relief and amazing. All right, this one from uh, Coach Karch seventeen. Why did Prince? Tega Wanogo fall so far. He, like Bryce Hall, probably hurt uh, uh, by injuries. Tega, but with Wanogo, you had concern about the knee, and I think that contributed to some some of his sliding through the draft. I mean, the Broncos, of course, were able to take uh, Muti in round six because of concerns about the the Liz Frank surgery and also uh, the two Achilles injuries that he had. It was it was something that we kind of expected in that without the chance for medical cross checks yep. in April that teams weren't going to roll the dice 
as high as they might have in some previous years on injured players, but it took its toll on some more than others. I'd say Bryce Hall and Prince Tega Winogu were the biggest losers in terms of not being able to have those medical cross checks here this year. Yeah, and the other thing with Tega Wanagu, he wasn't able to test at the Combine, something that Sadiq Charles was able to do despite off-field questions. I think that really saved Charles's draft stock. He went early in the fourth, and then he has shorter arms. And for any projected offensive tackle, that's going to be a concern. Then again, if I was an owner, I would be asking my GM long and hard, why did this high-end starter at left tackle in the SEC just drop and you drafted an average guard? in the sec because if your answer is arm length alone you're fired on the spot <laughs> i got andre a little fired up I like that. that. I like <laughs> that's that. why I, I don't have billions though because these are the things that get me fired up you know so no fear for any nfl gm that i'll be owning an nfl team anytime soon this one from triad bronco what do you think the likelihood of hamler being around at pick 77 would have been if you took cleveland at 46 slim Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wouldn't have been there. Yeah, I, I I had him back half around two, so maybe maybe going between fifty and sixty, but he was. I don't think he was going to be there at seventy-seven. Yeah, and look at the wide receivers that dropped a bit, kind of the taller, bigger wide receivers. While we saw some of the speedier wide receivers even get overdrafted at the end of round one. I think Hamler, they were almost lucky to have him drop to forty-six. Mm-hmm. What if you? Uh took uh Cleveland there and then you traded up back into the second round end of the or end of the second early third to take Hamler and instead you didn't get Ajim or Ojemudier would you like that trade yeah, I personally yes I would What was it again say that. it again So you don't have Ojemudier or Ajim but you have you add Cleveland in there Yeah they, I'll take that for sure Right so yeah. they would have traded up to be able to still get Cleveland and given up those two third rounders that they used on those two defensive players. Yeah, and on it, paper, uh, yes. The chain re- the chain reaction also says there you probably don't go tight end mm-hmm. in round four. Maybe you go cornerback. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. would they have taken the the roll of the dice on Bryce Hall? Yeah, maybe. If Ojemudia was off the board. All right, mm-hmm. uh, from Kentucky UDFA, what is one player you wanted? That you didn't draft, uh, that the Broncos didn't draft. Jeremy Chin. Mm. He's going to be something special. He's a freak athlete. He dropped into the what second round because of uh, honestly, I think just because he came from the FCS. But he's going to be a monster. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I guess in the end, having known that they they used wide receiver for their first two picks. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded if I could swap Visca with Hamler. I would have done that. Glad. Why you gotta steal yeah. my answer? Yeah. The truth is, I, I like I like it either way. I really do like it either way. But yeah, I mean, selfishly, I would have gone Lavisca. And the pick that I think everyone is hating on that they won't be in a couple years is Jalen Hurts of the Eagles. Mm. What's he gonna be? A weapon. Mm. So Taysom Hill. Yep. Exactly. But better. Mm. I know everyone thinks I'm going to answer this question, Tyler Biotis, you're a punter. <laughs> but once the Broncos got Lloyd Cushenberry, I was good. I'd gotten to a point where I said, okay, Cushenberry or Biotis, I'm happy with either. But the, there was early in the fourth round, 
I'm I'm watching how the names are falling, and at 118, I'm thinking Ben Barksh, yeah. the offensive lineman from out of St. John's in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I even wrote in my day three preview about how the Broncos historically, if you go back through time, have had some great luck with players who were not Division One players that they picked in the draft. The last non-D1 player that they picked was Chris Cooper back in 06. And then before that, you have to go back to 1996 when they took John Mobley out of Cutstown. And wow. so I like Ben Barks. I sort of wrote that thinking, okay, maybe this is the time they're going to bite on one of those small school gems. But the Jaguars took him two picks before the Broncos and an F-bomb left my lips sitting here in my office. <laughs> that was the only time in the draft this year I got really upset was when Barch was off two picks for the Broncos. What did you say? Did you say he's from Cutstown? John Mobley went to Cutstown. Cutstown th- in Pennsylvania. K-U-T-Z-T-O-W-N. First round pick back in 96. Cutstown is what they're going to call Denver when Jerry Judy's done with it. <laughs> cutting all over the place. Well, actually, every NFL town is Cutstown when you get down from 90 to yeah. 53. Mm. Boy, that tape at Cutstown to make him a first rounder must just be an all time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he must have flown on the field, like yeah. truly levitated above to sack quarterbacks. I mean, God knows what he did. Oh, the, well, the Broncos have a player that levitates now. Did you know that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. What's his name again? It's uh, Derek uh, Tuska. There you go. Oh, <laughs> all right. A couple more here. Uh, this one from Lawson for life. I think we can answer this all in one false swoop. Who gets more yards next year, Judy or Hamler? Judy. Judy. Make it all purpose, but I'd still say Judy. Uh, from Terry uh, Terry OT with lots of numbers. Um, <laughs> do you think we'll get a free agent corner now? I'm assuming they're talking about someone like yep. uh, Prince of Mukamar. Yep, Logan Ryan, someone like that. Unless it's like an incredible deal. I don't think the Broncos are going out there uh, and trying to negotiate with these guys and try to get a good value. Vic, after the draft, said uh, that he he thinks the Broncos are fine at corner, good depth. Uh, and he said, you know, they like what they have uh, in Ojemudie, but they have like five other depth corners from last year. And I think they're really going to hope that one of those guys develops into a player. And because they have so many guys, uh, I think they're just going to rely on that instead of a veteran. I like the odds that among Devontae Bosby, Duke Dawson, Devontae Harris, Isaac Yadam, Shaquille Taylor, I like the odds of two of those guys being able to help you. My money would be on Devontae Bosby and Duke Dawson out of that group. Yep, I will uh, agree with you on that one, though I still would love to see Prince Mukamara. I think that'd be a uh, a fun little addition to that cornerback room. Peters first, though. You get Peters, yes, and yes, if you can Mookie. still get Mukamar, then you look. Caleb Vogel, daily pod back on Monday, or are you guys taking a couple days off? Well, <laughs> we've never been ones to uh, take any days off, so that one is not going to change anytime soon. Um, maybe two pods on Monday, or maybe draft pod on Tuesday, <laughs> but you'll even get more than the usual five dailies. I promise you that much. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we've got... Oh, here we go. Are Broncos a wild card spot or a one, two, three team today? I think it's wild card spot one, two, or three. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Our wild card spot one, two, or three. Oh, That's nice. so weird that there's three now. Yeah. 
I think I think the Broncos are in competition firmly for that first wild card spot. I mean, you say the Chiefs win the division. You say the Ravens win the division. We'll give the Bills their division uh, wow. and the Texans. I mean, uh, what prediction? How many other teams in the AFC are you really that scared of? I mean, the Colts maybe. The Colts are interesting, and it, I like Jonathan Taylor as somebody who can come in and help them right away. And of course, Philip Rivers. I think he's going to uh, to fix a lot of what ailed that team. The the actually the biggest wild card, no pun intended, might be the New England Patriots because I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. But if if they if they come out of this a week from now and Andy Dalton is their quarterback, I know that's not exactly inspiring, but they ask Andy Dalton to not make many mistakes and compliment the defense that they've got. Yeah. Then New England sneaks through and wins 10 or 11 games, I think, despite everything that's going on there. I'd say the Broncos right now, wild card two. Nice. Wild card two. I mean, I, I think they're just firmly in the conversation. You know, all these wild card one, two, or three is going to come down to like one play at the end of the season. So it's hard for me to determine which one. Uh, it'll be interesting just to see. If they can actually give the Chiefs a run, just just make the Chiefs sweat a little bit. You know, I think that should be the goal of the season. Obviously, internally, you want to say we're going to go win the division and take it from the Chiefs. But I think you just want to make it make it interesting. You know, if you can put a little bit of pressure on them, I think that would be a huge win. Obviously, in the end, just make the playoffs however you can. But if if you make them sweat a little bit, that means you just absolutely crush it this offseason and you're on your way to really competing yeah. with them so uh that that should be the goal in my opinion and if you end up getting a wild card spot out of it then i think that's fantastic as well and i personally believe that the broncos will be right in the thick of things for for one of those wild card spots uh, i think they've done a great job this offseason and i think drew lock is only going to get better yeah right, yeah I, oh go ahead I was just going to say, Ryan, I agree with you that they'll be in the thick of things for a wild card spot, but competing with the Chiefs is a goal that you do after that. So th this is the first goal, and then you compete with the Chiefs down the road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just want to you just want to keep it interesting as long as you can. You know, mm -hmm. make sure they, that you aren't out of the race. You know, halfway through the season, you want to make them uh, stay on their toes the whole season. Yeah, I would see a I would say the second wild card. I love the additions, but it's a lot of additions on top of the free agents, this whole draft class. And then your biggest free agents from last offseason kind of need to be integrated anew on top of Bradley Chubb getting back in the mix. That's a lot of new pieces to fit into that starting lineup. So I think it might take a little while to get going, but I, I think the sky's the limit with what they've got on the roster now. I think next year you're looking at a second wild card in the AFC. Tried Bronco asked what what pod to comment on for us to read it on Monday. This one, this one will be posted as a podcast, so you'll be able to comment on that, and we'll talk about it on Monday. All right, guys, tie one final bow on our coverage here, uh, and of course, uh, the Broncos draft. Andre, I'll start with you. Uh, your your final statement on the way things shook out over the last three days. Uh, this is the this is that offensive draft we dreamed of. It was the wide receiver draft, and the Broncos dove headfirst. We've been concerned basically all season on the draft pod. How many of these speed receivers could you get? Could you get away maybe with one in this loaded class of wide receivers in all? No, they get two plus a third little scratch ticket on top of a really nice class overall. 
that's what I come away with. Speed, 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 speed. Henry? Uh, oh, looks like my video is lagging again. But uh, you know what? It, again, it's the speed. You, you look at Jerry Judy, that's great value at 15. You get to uh, 46, you take Hamler. I think that's solid value there. Cushionberry is an incredible value. You know, a game we weren't high on, uh, but but again, he's well within his range. Uh, I, I really think that especially those some of those late round guys too with the high upsides, those were very good values as well. And I think that John Elway played the board that was given to him and he played it really well. And I think that there are a, a, at least a handful of future starters going into Denver now. Zach? The Drew Locke draft. This is what was with first three of the first four picks John Elway went out and got Drew Locke guys he needs two weapons one of them being the best wide receiver in this class and the third guy is a guy that Drew's going to be touching the rump of every single day in Laura hey, Cushenberry hey. <laughs> and then two picks later the Broncos go out and get Drew's good friend a friendly target a guy that he balled with and threw 17 touchdowns to at Missouri. This was all about Drew Locke. And Mace. Touching the rump ball. That's, I mean, this is getting really interesting here at the end. <laughs> a cushy rump. <laughs> I could have done with uh, the sweaty cushy oh. rump. Oh. I, it sounds like something Terry Bragshaw said many years ago in his Hall of Fame uh, induction speech about wanting to put his hands below Mike. Mike Webster's butt one more time, and he actually did <laughs> at his at, at on the podium there at the time. But it's a kind of a general but thought. I see what you did okay, there. yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> nicely done. This is a year unlike any other, and I'm excited about what the Broncos brought in. But you do have a situation where you've got KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, receivers. With Drew Locke, it's going to take some time for them to get the chemistry where you want it. And who knows how much work they're going to have in advance of this season. There are going to be moments, I think, where these guys show some tantalizing possibilities. But me, I know that there's going to be some rough spots along the way, especially this year, if they don't have the kind of offseason and training camp to get that timing right. I think there'll be flashes of brilliance this year, but in 2021, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this offense looks like in terms of of skill because this year it may be just another step on the way to what could be by 2021 an amazing and dynamic offense. For me, it comes down to one thing. I don't want to lose sight of what this is really all about. Yes, there's some great additions here. But the addition of Jerry Judy, in my opinion, is going to be transformational transformational for this football team and for this offense and for Drew Locke. And I think we're going to look back on this draft and say this was a good draft. And, and John Elway stacked his third draft in a row. But for the first time in those drafts, he got a bona fide superstar. And that's what I think Jerry Judy is going to be. Um, you see the quotes from people like Muhammad Sanu who are already saying he's going to be one of the best to ever do it you see the highlights of him running those routes and it just looks different and I trust my eyes when it comes to these things that look different and it just looks different with Jerry Judy and when I see that I see superstar potential so I think 
all of this has been fun. Three days of, of really uh, awesome conversations. But the further we got down the road, the further we got away from, from Jerry Judy. And, and I do not want to lose sight of that. To me, Jerry Judy uh, is going to make this class in, in spades. Uh, and I'm so, so excited to see what he and Drew Locke can do together. But with that, I want to thank everyone who tuned in with us throughout the last three days. It's been so much fun for us. It's been amazing. Uh, we want to thank MSU Denver, msudenver.edu slash online for, uh, for making all of this possible. Thank you to all of our people behind the scenes. I can't even name them all, but especially Allie and Rudo for directing and producing that. To Breckeridge Brewery for fueling us all the way along the lines. Uh, and to the, the four of you for really helping me carry this coverage. It, it was amazing. It was awesome. And I appreciate everyone. <laughs>